0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on November 20th, Lord's Day service. Warning is from a couple of passages, the first is Psalm 103, the second is Acts chapter 8, Psalm 103 and Acts chapter 8. Psalm 103 beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Skipping down to verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place remembers no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Then in Acts chapter 8, Beginning in verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his, referring to Stephen's death. And at the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your many abundant, kind benefits to us. You have blessed us beyond measure, giving us beyond what we could ask or think may we receive your word now and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight O lord our rock and our redeemer amen Amen. we heard earlier today about of course uh, the the church calendar and then the intersection of america's greatest contribution to holidays in the history of a country that is thanksgiving but today is also on the church calendar known as the feast of Christ the king it doesn't get a lot of traction in our circles but it is one it's the very last sunday in the church calendar one which is it's recognized that jesus is the king and as we read earlier in psalm 103 the lord has established his thrones in the heaven his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all it anticipates I mean, it, well, it, it both acknowledges that Christ reigns now and anticipates His coming, which we will then lead into Advent, which begins next week. But in, in addition to Thanksgiving and the Feast of Christ the King, this is also, and hopefully it's not a cause for great celebration, but it's the final sermon in the Paideia series. Where we have looked in the past at the call to train, guide, and fortify our children in the culture of God's kingdom, beginning at home and continuing in the church. Psalm 103 continues a small unit of Psalms, beginning in 100 and going through 108, that offer praise and thanks to God for his goodness and his faithfulness in providing for and establishing his people. We see multiple Psalms in this unit rehearsing the history of Israel and how he gave them how he he provided for his people in times of need. I remember as a small child when my my family would read a psalm every day, and some of them were really short devotions, like when it's Psalm 117, just a couple of verses. Psalm 119, whew, that was a long one. But this series, I remember as a kid thinking, didn't we just read that psalm yesterday? Because he does a lot of the same thing. He talks about what God has done for his people. But that's on purpose. Here when we pick up, though, in Psalm 103, he'll talk about what he's done for them in the past, but then we see in verse 15, we are reminded of our brief time in this life. It is compared to grass that is here today, it's gone tomorrow, and lest you think too much of yourself, it's not just here today and gone tomorrow. He says, and forgotten. How many of us want to leave some type of long-lasting legacy? Well, of course. It's a natural thing. We want to do that. But he says in verse 16, and its place remembers it no more. That sounds like Ecclesiastes. Psalm 103 is the seed that was planted and David's son Solomon would expand on this theme tremendously in the book of ecclesiastes but if you say well this is pretty depressing thank you very much he doesn't stop there he moves on after he reminds us that our time here is short and is forgotten he contrasts that with the lord's work our time is contrasted with yahweh's eternal mercy or actually A better translation is His loyal, faithful love. It's never out of His remembrance. We are forgotten. We will be forgotten. God's eternal mercy will never be forgotten, most of all by Him. As I've said before or written recently, God's love is not something where where when we meditate on it, it's not a daisy where we say, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves No, it doesn't work like that. His love is eternal. It remains. It continues, as David said, throughout all generations. His righteousness is unto children's children to those who keep his covenant. Now these same promises continue, God's promises continue even after the Psalter was completed. In Christ then, when Jesus comes, they are expanded past the hereditary Jewish line to all who submit to him as king. And even another one of the great things about these Psalms is that the reign of God as our king is echoed. We see it in, for example, we just read verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, or Psalm 105, verses 43 through 45. He says, he brought, he brought out his people with joy. He chose his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his law. Only a king can bestow his land to his people. In the Psalms, we see one of the many pictures of our God is as the ruling and reigning victor. These Psalms are recounting the victory of God over the opposing nations, Egypt being the main one. Now, Zechariah's son, excuse me, Zechariah in the New Testament the father of John the Baptist, he offers a succinct version of Psalms 103 through 107 in Luke chapter 1, verses 71 through 75. See if you hear some of the familiar language of these Thanksgiving Psalms. He says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us being del- that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zechariah offers an encapsulation of the good news given in Psalms 100. 108 but of course we know sometimes God's people were not faithful you read the Old Testament you see the highs when when the people are together and they're excited they're worshiping they're rejoicing and the Lord sends his fire down or he, he gives them his law and he said how many will do it and they all say we will amen and then what happens a few chapters or a few verses later down it goes Unfaithful. If you Sometimes, if you ever look at your own life, you can see this depicted. We all live out miniature versions of Israel and Judah. Hopefully not to that extent. But we know that we sin. God's people in the past were unfaithful. And when they were unfaithful, they were disciplined. Again, that's also recounted in these psalms. Discipline still happens. So when it comes to paideia, just one of application immediately is parents, when you are disciplined by God for your sin, don't try to hide it from your kids. Don't, I mean, how many of you have ever told your kids that God disciplines us too? Don't act like though, when He does discipline you, don't, don't act with your kids like they're not supposed to know. This helps them. When you make it known, and I'm not saying you have to tell them every time you have a bad thought, or every, you know, you don't have to do that, but when the Lord disciplines you, use that as an opportunity to teach them how discipline works. Because they need to know that you're not just giving lip service to something, you're actually experiencing it. You are teaching them what our Heavenly Father is like. Yet God never forgets His promises. He disciplines us not in spite of His love, but because of His love. And one of those promises to Israel was that His reign would expand, that His kingdom would grow. And His kingdom grows again in spite of His people's disobedience. Now, overall, I mean, the, the, over, the overwhelming story of Israel was one of disobedience. They failed. Nonetheless, God's plan was not thwarted. When Jesus came, he did what Israel could not do. Israel was called as a light to the nations. They largely did not fulfill that work, so Jesus comes as Israel and He does fulfill that work. He inaugurated His kingdom and the promises of the Psalms and the prophets were concretely established, but not only established, they were expanded. And that is where we come to the words of Acts 8. If you were a Christian in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, when those things happened, your natural perspective would probably not be to see this as a good thing. So let's recount what's going on. In Acts chapter 8, you just had one of the greatest sermons ever preached. We have an encapsulation of it in the words of Stephen He was tried by the Sanhedrin, and when he gave a defense, boy, did he give a defense. He recounted with great expertise God's work on behalf of his people. One of the most eloquent speakers and debaters of the early church, though, was crushed angrily to death. Under a cascade of stones. And not only that, but Stephen's opposite, an eloquent and fervent hater of Christians, rose up to persecute the church. Now, granted, Christianity was strong in Jerusalem, probably, you know, just by estimate, about 5,000 total Christians. Remember, many who believed at Pentecost didn't remain in Jerusalem, many were visitors from outside because Pentecost was one of the major feasts where men were expected to come. So they did, but then after Pentecost, they would go back home. They would return. So those 3,000 who were saved didn't all stay likely in Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem was, at this time, approximately 100,000. could be more. Some estimate much more. Some... A few less, but but not many. I mean, most people say a hundred thousand, and it could have been up even towards four or five hundred thousand. By comparison with the number of Christians in Jerusalem, Josephus says that there was at least six thousand Pharisees in Jerusalem. That's just Pharisees. So while strong, Christianity was far from unstoppable. And it had not expanded much further than Jerusalem. Of course, when we read the book of Acts, we know what happens. We read the book of Acts as Christians in the Bible belt. We know what's happened over the last 2,000 years. Uh, The early Christians didn't have that. They had no idea what was coming tomorrow. It's cliched to quote Charles Dickens' opening line of A Tale of Two Cities. But those lines fit very well what was going on in the book of Acts. And of course, most of us only remember the first phrase, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. But Dickens moves on from that in those opening lines. He says also, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light, it was a season of darkness, it was the season, the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. Now, what makes those lines so wonderful from Dickens is he's not, he, he's not just contrasting one thing, he's contrasting multiple things at once. Remember, the tale of two cities is set during the time of the French Revolution. And Dickens is contrasting London with Paris. Paris was, of course, the main site, ground zero of the French Revolution. He's contrasting the wealthy with the poor. He's contrasting the aristocracy and the leaders of the Ancien Regime in France, the monarchy, with the revolutionaries. All of this together at once. And just like various moments in the French Revolution, the story of Christianity in Jerusalem Could easily have turned quite different if just a few things change. And we read about one of those things here. Have you ever delved into alternate history before? It's an entire genre. Now, I mean, there are, and I'm not advising you to go down these rabbit trails, but there are websites dedicated to just, you know, their own wiki website of people who come up with various alternate histories. But books have been written by well-known historians presenting different events throughout the history of man that with one or two things going different, history's totally changed. If you lived in Jerusalem... In the first century, just a few things changing could be a radically different story. In Acts 8, Luke reveals one of those pivotal points. Saul was not only eloquent, he was vicious. He was well-spoken, but he had a grudge. We don't know what caused this grudge. Some have speculated that Stephen may have even debated Saul, and and, and geographically that easily could have worked out before Stephen's martyrdom. But Saul was sort of like a Robespierre character. He was the Robespierre of the Jerusalem Pharisees. He went, we're told, from house to house and it, he was not selling something. It said in verse Acts 8:3, he made havoc of the church, entering house to house and dragging off men and women. He spared no one. That's about as close to ancient totalitarianism as it gets. And he he was doing this, he was wreaking havoc on the church. For the Christians, this was a reign of terror. So they had a choice. Either flee or remain. Now some understood what was happening from early on as we see in Acts chapter 5. We read in Acts chapter 5 that Christians, like Barnabas, had already sold their property and given it to the church, which funded missions and care for the poor. So some were wise. They they knew this was probably coming. But now many who had put off the decision had no choice. And we know what happened many left. It said, when the persecution came, they were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But this scattering, I want you to understand this, it was exactly what God intended to happen. If Jerusalem had remained a comfortable place for the people, the gospel would not have gone forth. This was likely two or three years. Best estimates say probably about three years after the ascension of Christ. So those three years gave the people, God's people, time to grow and be fortified in the paideia of God, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The gospel during this first three years was incubating and preparing to spread. And then, they didn't try to stop the spread. The Almighty said, there will be no stopping this spread of the gospel. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, exile is not a curse. Sometimes, remaining where you are is not a blessing. It was certainly hard for these people to leave some of those Christians likely had ties to their homes, to their land that went back centuries. It's, it is said here that America is a place that the British, when, when they compared themselves to us, that 300 miles is a really, for them, is a really long way. For Americans, it's not. But for Americans, consequently, we think 300 years is a very long time. They don't. We think, oh, I've got got family going back here for at least 50 years. That's pretty good. Deep roots. Or maybe if you were one of the first families here, My family's been here since 1790. Well, contrast that with some of these Jewish Christians whose families had inherited their land when Joshua came over. Talk about a homestead, multi-generational household. They had it. And they had to give it up like Abraham, who sought a city made without hands, whose builder and maker was God. Now this is where things, just you may want to go ahead and just slightly brace yourself. It won't be too jarring, I'm sure, but brothers and sisters, our church has the strongest emphasis on building multi-generational households that I have ever seen anywhere, and it is great. It is a good thing. Much of what has been lost by us, by by, by people in general in the last century in this type of thinking, we are trying to restore. But I'm going to ask you a question. Were God's people, were the Christians in Jerusalem wrong when they sold their property that had belonged to them for so many hundreds of years thousands of years, were they wrong to sell that property and leave? Of course we wouldn't say they're wrong. That would, that would itself, we know that would be wrong. Scripture doesn't condemn them. But if you're paying attention, you may have just a slight feeling of discomfort at this point, saying, all right, pastor, what are you trying to say? Sometimes, when God removes you from your dreams and it doesn't feel good, you have to reevaluate what is actually the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying that I foresee some massive movement and the persecution's going to come fierce, it's going to come hot and heavy, and Huntsville going to blow away in about 10 years. Get ready. I'm not saying that. So please do not tie me down. Okay, that's not the point. But for all of us, we have our dreams, we have our desires, we have what we want to do, and we often, we pray, or maybe we tell God, this is what I want to do, this is what I feel called to do, and this is where I feel called to do it. Thank you, and please answer quickly. Amen. Amen. And then, he kind of just slaps that hat off your head. And speaks to us like he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. I am the Lord. Who are you? Who's telling whom thy will be done? But Lord, I've read this book. And this author has told me what a great thing it is for me to never go anywhere and for me to make sure that my kids don't go past five miles outside of my radius. Thus saith so-and-so. And And maybe the Lord will bless you with that and that's great. All all that I'm saying to you is we cannot be like... If if some of us were in the early church, we might have said, actually, I'm just going to stick it out in Jerusalem because I've got a household, and, and I've got many generations on this land. When the scattering happened, though, notice what they did. They didn't leave with their tail between their legs. It said, verse 4, Then, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't, just, they didn't go quietly. They went and they made the gospel known. That was the point of the scattering. Because when the Lord sends you somewhere, He doesn't just say, I'm going to bash your dreams and you're going to like it. He says, I've got something better for you and better for the kingdom with you being here. Or with your kids being here. They didn't just leave in fear. They left in faith. They declared the good news. They didn't keep the paideia of God in Jerusalem. They spread it throughout the world. And this is the purpose. This is the the end goal, the point of paideia. It's not just having our kids on the right track. That's where it starts. We want our kids to worship and serve God faithfully all their lives, to marry spouses who do the same thing, to raise up children and children's children. We want to see peace upon the people of God. That is all a good thing. But the purpose of Pidea is to spread the culture of God's kingdom wherever you go. We're taking it past the walls. Paideia goes to the ends of the Earth, and that is from God. We don't have to protect the word of God, like it's some brittle, you know, flaky piece of cracker. The kingdom of God is going to encompass the world. We get the privilege of spreading it. And sometimes he does. He calls us to a place and he says, This is where I want you, and and we we like it. But then sometimes we have to adapt. And even if he lets you remain in the same place, he's going to make you adapt. He loves us too much than to leave us as we are. You say, But I'm already a Christian, he's already changed me. That's a start. That's step 1 of 2,465,000. I mean, look, we have this life, and because we're finite, we have all of eternity to continue learning. Our sin nature will be removed, but it doesn't mean that we will be we're not going to be God after we die. We get to continue learning and growing. We're raising arrows, forming what St. Jerome calls the statues of God, to go forth and meet the enemy. The goal then is to send our children out, not keep them in. The paideia of the gospel is not given to be protected in the walls of the church, but to envelop the world. This is the fulfillment of David's words in those thanksgiving psalms where he said that the heathen land is inherited by the righteous as in psalm 107 verses 33 through 38 when he says this he turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it, he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. That's what the Lord's purpose is in sending His people out. So consider Philip. We read about Philip in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. that said Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Surely Philip mourned for Stephen. Philip was himself a deacon. He understood the loss of the church, or to the church, in Stephen's death. Undoubtedly, he did not consider himself that he would be able to succeed all that Stephen did. Yet he goes to Samaria. He was one of those who left when the scattering happened. And what do we see? Well, if you read on, verses 5 through 8, people come to faith. Demons are routed. Miracles performed, and it says in verse 8, there was joy in the city. Joy increased. That is a mark of the people of God. When we go into a place, joy should increase. Wherever the the culture of God's kingdom goes, there should be joy. Now, we may think, I wouldn't mind seeing some demons cast out myself. Be careful what you wish for. Because that means there have to be a bunch there first. But Philip went out, and he was faithful in his work. He went out, and God used him. This is what happens when God's people go out. He uses them in whatever place he sends them. So this work of the gospel began in Jerusalem... And when Jerusalem became a hot place, people were willing to leave. So the day may come, as grateful as we are, and we are very grateful beyond words for what the Lord has done here. But for for some of you, the day may come when He may call you to leave Huntsville. Don't tell yourself, I can't leave Huntsville. That's the place where God's Spirit is. That's the place where, where he's moving. I can't go somewhere else. What are you saying by implication? God's Spirit's not somewhere else? Now look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, we're not inviting Exodus, okay? That's not the point of this. It's to be open to whatever the Lord, if he directs you in a certain way. Don't look for the stars to align. But if certain things happen and he makes it clear that he's directing you elsewhere, don't resist. The day he may call your kids somewhere. I don't mean anything foolish. But he may direct them in a way that you say, but I, will, I want them close. I want them to remain here. Maybe that's not his plan. If our European forefathers didn't leave their homes to establish outposts of God's kingdom in North America, we wouldn't be here. So what are we, how do we then pursue the paideia of God to the ends of the earth? What are practical things we can do to pursue this? I'm going to give you four things rapidly. Number one, walk in thanksgiving, as David calls us to do in these psalms and as we were exhorted to do earlier. Begin by walking in thanksgiving. Number two, make your home a redoubt of God's kingdom. Everything we've talked about in in this series on Paideia, make your home a place that is joyful where there is it's something that people are drawn to where beginning with you and your family if you and your family don't like your home you can guarantee other people probably won't want to be there either so make your home a place brimming with the culture of God's kingdom number three look for opportunities to extend the joy of God's kingdom to others Look and even pray for opportunities to extend God's kingdom to others. In things like hospitality, witnessing, encouraging people with your words. So look for those opportunities. And fourthly, hold your kids and your plans with open hands. Hold your kids and your plans with open hands. Don't tell God what you are going to do. Certainly, you have desires, you have loves, pray, offer those to Him. But trust that He knows better than you. Opportunities abound. There's more in the the mind of Almighty God than there will ever be in any number of people who put their minds together. He knows best what you need and what he has called you to do. And he may even be now preparing you for something of which you don't know. So be ready. This is where God has you right now, though. He has you here today, right now. So for the time being, you don't have to worry about any of that. So that's the, that is the last exhortation. Don't worry about what he may do with me tomorrow. Not your business. It's his. So begin right now in your home. Love, bless, guide, train your kids. Make your home a place of joy and delight and be ready to extend the Padea of God wherever he directs. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great gift of your spirit for drawing us together for bringing us here and for granting us the opportunity to serve one another may we do these things with love and gratitude in christ's name amen thanks for listening if you want to find out more check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com that's trinityreformedkirk.com